Hello, you are listening to episode seven of the Charles Benet Syndrome podcast. My name is Shaman Foy, and I have my co-host Eva Potts with me. And today we are interviewing Theo Blue. Theo Blue is from Canada, and uh, he actually has Charles Benet Syndrome, and we look forward to hearing his story today. So how are you doing today, Theo? I'm doing really good. It's been a lovely morning. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for being here. We really were looking forward to this call. So thanks so much. Of course. Thank you. So as you know, 100% of people that have Charles Monet syndrome have a visual impairment. So can you discuss your eye condition and maybe your history with that eye condition? Absolutely. Um, I would say my overarching eye condition is glaucoma. Um, as for how that got brought on, it was a bit of fun genetics. <laughs> um, I had been born with cataracts and defected lenses. So those were removed when I was a week old and that developed into glaucoma. And now I am 24 years old. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it seems like it's been a struggle since birth. Like, did you, was it, did you have, were you able to see kind of well when you were younger and it progressed and got worse or, or has it always been a little bit cloudy of vision? It's fluctuated a lot. I would say I've had a grand majority of clear vision through my life and it's been more of a tricky, unmanageable situation in the last five to 10 years. Okay. All right. Yeah. So at what point did you realize that you may have had Charles Monet or started seeing visions of hallucinations? Because most people don't know what Charles Monet is until they do some research. So can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, I would say I figured out what Charles Monet syndrome was at all in about 2021. And that took about a year until I really had it set into my brain that was something I've had for a very long time. <laughs> um, Charles Benet syndrome for me, based off of based off of my memories as a child, it's been consistently coming up as I've had eye surgeries or stressors in my life. It's just been my eyes uh, having trouble perceiving what's out there. Okay. All right. So. I just realized that you said that you believe you had it when you were younger and it's continued now as you've grown older. Has it changed over the years, the types of visions or things that you would see? And do you see things like patterns or, or do you see more like people? I've experienced both. I've experienced simple hallucinations and complex hallucinations, which is the colors you're referring to and the people. Um, I think the best people example I could give to you that's a nice calm example is mistaking a person in a booth and maybe you'll walk by that booth in the diner and go, oh, someone's already sitting there. No, there isn't. <laughs> oh, wow. So did that scare you when it was first happening? Um, I would say it was quite startling. And uh, I think these hallucinations can be really scary for people. And that's why I think it's respectful to keep the name hallucinations around this, this experience. I just want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm hearing everything correctly. Theo, you said that you, you've been experiencing Charles Benet since you were very young, but really didn't understand what it was you were coping with until 2001. 2021. 
2021. Yeah. No, I'm no, sorry. that's okay. 2001 and would have been two wow. years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there you go. So when you were younger and you were experiencing Charles Benet, what were your young experiences like? And how old do you think you were when it was actually something that was either problematic or something that, um, uh, I wouldn't even say problematic, but how were, how were your parents coping and, and were they supportive? And can you tell us a little bit about that from a very young age? Yeah. I would say that it was told to me not to share these little stories that I was coming up with. That's the most accurate memory that just happened so consistently throughout growing up, even in young adolescence, that when I mistook something, maybe not to mention it. Um, so I had a lot of awareness that uh, my brain worked a little funky, but I was never really sure what that meant. And once Charles Manet syndrome was presented to me, it brought a lot of clarity. So when I was younger, I think that uh, an example could be when I would walk through the forest, I would see different figures. And I would say that would happen still today, but I'm more aware of what that is and I don't have the fear anymore. How did you as a young child being told not to pay attention or not talk about what you're seeing. It's almost like, well, let's just, it's like putting it in the closet, not looking yeah. at it. And so how did you cope with that? Did, were, were there times that you, your parents sought mental health intervention for you and took you to particular doctors? What, what were they saying about what you were coping with? For me, it was something uh, that was not further examined. Okay. So, it was just not talked yeah, about. Yeah, just simply not talked about. And I think that could be easily done in anyone's situation. You can go, it's fine. Mm -hmm. um, it was something that I kept to myself for a while out of fear. Mm -hmm. Once... Uh, a label was presented to me, I've sought out the comfort and I've had nothing but gifts since recognizing what Charles Bonnet syndrome has been in my life. That's wonderful. It's no, it's wonderful that you're finding that peace now. I can only imagine how terrifying though. How old are you now? I'm 24 you? now. You're 24. So you're still in an age where you don't mind saying how oh. old you are. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, uh, what's so important about the podcast with you today is that I think so many people hear about Charles Benet syndrome and they focus the energy that um, about this syndrome being only for the elderly and it's not. It can affect anyone at any age, any gender, any ethnicity. It knows no boundaries. And I'm, you know, we hear a lot about how people cope with their Charles Benet syndrome. You didn't know what you were dealing with. You had no idea what was going on. What were the techniques that you used to help you thrive as a human being? How did, how did you, how did you cope? I'm really curious because, you know, when this hit our mother much later in her life, she had some life experiences about how to use different coping mechanisms, or I'm really not sure how she did it either until she told us. But here you are, a young child. 
what kind of techniques did you develop to keep your sanity? Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to say um, music was a huge part of it. I have to bring that up as my main healing tool because consistently I've noticed how stressed out I can be without having music alongside me in a daily manner. Um, and that for me resonates as being a musician and playing an instrument every day. I think everyone has their outlet <laughs> and uh, music's mine. When it comes to saying that as well, I've also abused substances and I was drinking at an earlier age and I have consistently smoked uh, cannabis for a long time. But I'd also say both of those substances showed me how I was not dealing with my stress at all. I was simply mm -hmm. trying to numb it out. And I think there's healthy moderation with everything. It's like you can't eat too much chocolate, you know? <laughs> so uh, when it came to uh, really reeling myself to myself and going, okay, where do you feel calm? I feel calm when I'm with trees. I feel calm when I'm playing my guitar. And I feel calm when I work on my breath work and absolutely talking to people about these things like Charles Bidet syndrome and struggling with things like addiction and things like that. Do you think that a lot of your addiction issues stemmed from coping with Charles Bidet? I wonder that a lot. It's such a good question. I would say yes. Yeah, I, I would imagine that more than we don't hear as of, of that about that as much as it's happening because it is very difficult to deal with. And, you know, let's be honest, glaucoma, uh, one of the relieving, um, I wouldn't say medications. One of the things that has been proven to alleviate the symptoms of a glaucoma is cannabis. Uh, it's a shame that it's not legal everywhere for people because uh, glaucoma is very prevalent all over the world. And it's something that alleviates, um, that's what I've been told. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional. I've read about it, I've heard it from other people um, that have glaucoma. I myself am a glaucoma candidate uh, because that's how my mother lost her vision. Uh, and I can see where the pain, uh, the way that she lost her vision was extremely painful. So I can only imagine um, what you must go through uh, as, as somebody with Charles Bonet and the pain of having glaucoma. Good gravy. <laughs> really? Um, I, I have one more question for you and then I'll let Shimon, uh, because you're, you're just such, you're, you're so interesting, such an interesting human being, Theo, because we rarely get people on who have had this their whole lives. We did have another gentleman who came on. His name is Jonathan Ward. Um, he's actually in the UK and he, um, opened up to us and talked to us about experiencing CBS as a child. He was very lucky to have very supportive parents. I, I hope that you'll listen to his podcast. His story is different. He had, he had a great support system. Mm. And I think that's, isn't that part of the important structure of coping with Charles Binet syndromes, having that solid support system, having people who, and I have to go back to another podcast because these are not my words in the words of Ken Ellis, who is a caretaker for somebody with Charles Binet syndrome. Mm. He said, the most important thing you can do is believe the person with Charles Binet syndrome when they're telling you what they're experiencing, because they're trusting you. They're asking for help. 
And so every time somebody says, you know, I'm going through this and they're poo pooed, they shut down. And so I imagine at a certain point in your life, all that got shut down. Um, my last question is, how do you feel now, now that you know what it is, and now that you know what you're coping with, when you look back and you compare what you've been through to where you are today, what are the biggest changes that have happened in your life? And what is your advice to people who may be young, who are dealing with this? What would you say to them? Everything in life is on a spectrum. Um, and that is in regards to whatever you're facing, that if you are facing a disability that is degenerating a part of your body, to understand that you are going to be working through these cycles of grief, and you will need people to help you regulate through that, no matter where you are in that grief. Whether you're in your highest moment, your lowest moment, your angriest moment, you need a support system of more than one person, <laughs> very key, to talk to about these things and have them understand that it is going to consistently change in your life and have you also be reminded that it's going to consistently change in your life. Um, understanding that disability is on a spectrum and that it's going to affect anyone, especially with glaucoma, it being a visually onset degenerative disease. Anyone with sight can develop degenerative diseases. Anyone with abilities can, uh, you know, age, because we all do. So to take time and patience with yourself and to love myself, I would tell my younger self that for sure. <laughs> love that. I love that, Theo, because loving ourselves is something we all forget to do. And with or without disabilities. Yeah. And you, you seem to have really, I'm so grateful to know you and, and so grateful that you have found who you are with all of this that has been confronting you. What community did you find that helped you cope and helped you get through? If you don't mind sharing, um, it, you don't have to. It's really none of our, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, your parents weren't supportive. Where did you find that support and that sense of community to help you cope? I am going to attribute everything that I have to the queer community. And I mean that in any way that you want to acknowledge them, LGBTQA, Two-Spirit, any of those folks, um, has been one of the most loving, chosen family community I've ever experienced in my life. And will always be grateful for the loving nature and unconditional care that those communities and spaces hold for people like me. That's one, that's a beautiful tribute to your community. And I, I know in Canada, I don't know if the atmosphere is a little bit different than it is here in the United States, but can you tell us a little bit about how your journey in the LBGTQ uh, community, and I hope I'm getting all the, the entire acronym in there. I know it changes a little bit, and but I want to be Absolutely. respectful. Um, and I, I want to, you know, how did, A, you've got Charles Benet, well, A, you've got glaucoma, B, you've got Charles Benet syndrome, you're coping with that. C, you're having some, you know, turned to a little bit of substance abuse. It, it invaded your life because of Charles Benet. And you also, you know, were in a, are in a community that in 
you know, sometimes it's difficult to talk to people about. I wish it weren't because it's just, you're a human being and you're just, you have to be part of that community. Like I'm part of uh, the 60 and older community now. So um, how did evolving in that community help you to know who you were and how, how did it make you either stronger or was it a struggle? I think growth in any way is a struggle. And that's ultimately what the queer community, and that's just how I call them. Because, yeah, it is always changing. I'm just a queer man. <laughs> and um, it, it doesn't need to be talked about further than that, to be quite honest. Because when it comes down to it, everyone in the queer community is a person. And they need to be seen as people, no matter what part of their spectrum they're on. Amen. And I have found it incredible how with that community they've shown me how I wasn't valuing myself as a person and they guided me to resources and loving people that could give me the awareness and words to explain these feelings I've had inside of liking certain people or uh, liking certain things about myself and that's really been a huge factor for me to process before even tackling my vision loss was just trying to develop who I was, was a, as a person to myself. And then to know that because what you're experiencing is human, yeah. it's natural and it is, you know, something that no one should ever be afraid to say who they are, or how they feel. And, and, congratulations for having the courage to say who you are because so many people get squashed. They, they, they can't, they don't talk about who they are because of what comes with that. And it, you know, it's sad because it's like the same thing with Charles Bonet, you know, it's, 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 it's not the same. I'm not trying to compare the two. What I'm saying is that, you know, people with Charles Bonet will hide because they're so terrified of being quote unquote mentally ill. Right. And so they'll, or they think they've gone mad or they think that they're crazy. So they hide, they won't talk about it and they try to cope with it. And this is why we're trying to bring out the awareness and the, and, and educate the general public and the medical community about how we need to help people. Cause it, again, it goes across all communities. It's indiscriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, what your lifestyle is, what your background is. If you have eyes and your eyesight can be, compromised on any level, you can get Charles Binet syndrome, bottom line. And, and, um, I just want to thank you for sharing your story. And I am hoping that we hear all the wonderful, great things that you're going to be doing, because I think that we're going to hear about you in the future, especially if you stick with what you're doing and you, you will help other people. I hope other people will have the courage like you do to call us, talk to us. We have a community of people that can help you if you're out there and you're coping with Charles Binet syndrome. You have it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Our phone number is here to help you. And what amazing people that are there too to help you with any resources that you need. Well, thank you, Theo. That's a very nice thing for you to say. We appreciate it. As, but as a matter of fact, I don't think that we even covered that. Is that Theo is also part of our support group. And he has made a big difference and a big impact uh, 
as one of the younger people that have come on, it helps the people who are a little bit older understand that it's not just a physiological condition that affects people after a certain age. Again, if you have vision that could be compromised, this could be something that you'd be facing. Absolutely. And Shimon, I'm going to turn it back over to you because I know I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been uh, taking over the microphone here, but Theo just really ignites a passion in me for people to understand that this physiological condition knows no boundaries. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. And, and uh, that's good that you said physiological and it's also medical, you know, uh, condition because some people think it's a mental health condition, but all of the experts like Dr. Dominic Fitch and all of the other people doing research that are, that are leading the calls uh, will will say that it's not a mental condition. So that's good that you that you bring that up. I'm curious, Theo, I know this could be a difficult question because it's kind of like when you're kids, you may not know when the memory starts or anything, but around how old do you think you are when you first started ex seeing things like hallucinations? Do, do you kind of know? I would say from the beginning of visual impairment things based off of uh, how my parents would tell stories about me as a child and I think it can really just show up as a child mistaking a ledge for not being a ledge or a, a very simple things like that because something that comes up for me on a daily basis is mistaking a a, a dip in the road as no dip at all mm-hmm mm -hmm. okay. mm. so when you started getting so when you started getting older and you mentioned things that would happen, like seeing someone at a restaurant and in, in a booth and they weren't there, what did you think was going on and how did you handle that before you knew it was Charles Bonnet? What a wonderful question. <laughs> um, I would say that it was something that I just truly brushed off the best I could and not think about. Now that I acknowledge it as something happening, I can give my brain more credit for how much memory I have, for how much stability I have mentally, and for the confidence that I have to even just hold a job. Okay. Now, can you tell me a little bit about, because you obviously in 2021 found out what Charles Monet was, and then you realized that's what you had. Can you tell me a little bit about it, about that journey? How did you come to find out what Charles Bonnet was and that you, in fact, had that? It was, in fact, mentioned to me from someone from the uh, Canadian Blind Institute that, for people that don't know, that is our main blind helping resource foundation in Canada. And someone just offhand on the phone mentioned what Charles Bonnet syndrome was. And ever since then, it was in the back of my mind, knocking around. And one day, I saw some colors in my vision, and then they stopped after a while. And I thought to myself, goodness, that is just a simple hallucination, isn't it? And since then, it's, it's boggled my mind to think how many I've had in my life. Was it, did the name Lucia Ricardo come up in your uh, uh, journey with the CNIB? Absolutely. Yeah, she's she's your Canadian angel, yep. Lucia Ricardo. She she is holding the banner for Charles Bonnet syndrome in Canada all by herself. Um, 
God bless her. And uh, I, I hope she does great things up there. I think she will. So when you found out what this was and what you may be dealing with, how did it change your life? Was it a relief? I would say it was a rush of emotions. And I definitely cried a lot. <laughs> and I would say that crying was out of sadness for myself going goodness out of everything else to happen wonderful this is what a wonderful avenue to explain in my life but truly at that point i didn't recognize what journey it would lead me on to self-acceptance to my own gratitude for the world and my own empathy towards people what a wonderful description i mean you're just so you know it, we hear so many different different uh journeys so many different perspectives of how people integrate this into their life, how they cope with it. You have such a strong personality. And the other thing that I'm hoping for as you speak and, and answer really important questions that Shimon has, has asked you, I, I want people to know, I don't care what community you're in or who you are. There is no judgment in our support group. Please, if you are coping with Charles Binet syndrome, you can call us. There, we have this is a judgment-free zone. We don't, you know, how can one sit back and judge anybody? That's not for anybody to do. We are here. Um, so, if you are part of the LGBTQ okay, LBGTQ community, please understand we're here too. And if you're more comfortable speaking with someone in your community, we will find someone to connect you with that has Charles Binet syndrome. And we will help connect you to that person so that you can speak freely. I don't want anyone to be uncomfortable calling because that's not who we are. Eva, can you leave uh, your phone number so people can contact yeah. you? I'm going to leave it in the show. Yeah. I'm going to leave it in the show notes also, but just so. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So my phone number, I'm in the United States, uh, is 704-681-3473. And my name is Eva, and we will connect you with either Dr. Gary Cusick, who is awesome, and Theo knows who Dr. Gary Cusick is, and uh, or if with Theo's permission, I will connect you to Theo. And, you know, no matter who you are, we're here to help. And that's what I want to make clear. You know, we, we're not the end all. We advocate. We can help connect you to services. We can, we can provide you with information that you can take to your doctor that might be able to help them understand what it is you're coping with, because we understand the medical community is not as accepting or they don't receive this information well, and we're hoping to change that. Yes, we're out to change the world about Charles Binet syndrome. <laughs> I'm curious, have your hallucinations changed over the years? I would say in terms of changing, they feel a less directly aggressive. But if they ever did come up in that sense, I now have the tools to bring myself to a calmer place to acknowledge them and change my mind onto something else, distractions, music. Okay. And and uh, you just said distractions and music, but if you can elaborate on that or maybe mention other tools or techniques that you use that have helped you or, or even maybe some other things uh, that have helped you. 
uh, a wonderful example of something helping me is that I wear yellow glasses that are just tinted a light yellow. They're typically seen as night driving glasses to make those bright lights so uh, bright <laughs> to a driver. For myself, it's really helpful because the simple hallucinations uh, that occur in my eyes just on a somewhat regular basis... The yellow tint allows my eyes to have a frame of reference of what generally the skew of color should be in front of me, and also allows that the lights that I face every day to be less abrasive to my brain. Wow. Okay. That's, you know, that's a, that's great for people to hear. So does it help you dis, um, discern between what's real and what could be a visual hallucination? Does that help? Do those glasses help you on that level? I would say they do both on a physical level of letting my eyes have a frame mm -hmm. of reference and also on the mental level that I put on my glasses every day to take care of myself. I do that for my own right. eye protection and I do that to also take care of my mental health. So it's that reminder that I have glasses on and that I am a hybrid user of my eyes, meaning that I close them when I need to and I use them when I need to. Awesome. Theo, would you like to, and, and, and I will leave this up to you because this is your, your personal journey. Would you like to talk a little bit about how that it got for you and how you were able to overcome that and where you are now? Is that something you'd like to discuss? Uh, yeah, I would love to discuss that. Awesome, because that might help some people. Absolutely. So something that I haven't shared so far in this uh, wonderful sharing time that I've had with both of you um, is that I am a transgender man. I was initially born female, and through my journey in life, being female never quite worked for me. It was a job that felt too hard every day. And... In the last about four years, I've been transitioning to male in that direction and have never had a more happy and fulfilling life that feels like I'm going to work every day at a job I love. So with that information, when I was about 19 presenting as a woman, I was walking home late at night and... I thought a gentleman was following me in the alley. That was the scariest thing that happened consistently for a couple of years where I was startled and would report this to people and go, I could have sworn I saw somebody. And they go, no, you didn't. It's fine. You're just panicking. When I know I did, I thought I did. And uh, truthfully, I don't know if there was anyone, but I didn't hear anybody. And it was only a visual thing that I saw. So as growing up as a, a, a woman, what's taught a lot is to have this fear base that someone's after you. And ever since transitioning, that fear base isn't there anymore. I have confidence. I have drive in myself. And I'm not so fearful to just be myself every day. So that... Hmm. Whenever I've had anything similar to that, I've been able to work through that emotion that's there, that anxiety, that fear, and go, that's not someone there. There's not a person behind that pole or vice versa. Um, 
and I've been able to uh, cope better with the hallucinations that come at me, simple or complex. Wow. So discovering who you were and allowing yourself to be who you are has also helped the, the hallucinations and the severity and or changed them in that direction where they're not fear-based any longer. Absolutely. That's pretty amazing, Theo. And that's not to say they don't come up as fear-based because I do still struggle with anxiety, but it's a more, it's creating that awareness and understanding that these are going to show up on a spectrum of anxiety, just like gender would be on a spectrum. Queerness would be on a spectrum. Gayness would be on a spectrum. Anything that you can think of neurodivergence, vision loss. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's um, interesting that you use the word spectrum because we've had many discussions uh, in our support group. Um, just anytime Dr. Cusick and I have a conversation we're, we always revert back to this spectrum. So, you know, it, it came up with autism, you know, that's when the word became prevalent and we're really believing, and I know everybody's heard me say this before, but the severity, longevity, um, type of hallucinations that people are experiencing, and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional, but what we're finding and what we think research later will reveal is that the types of hallucinations that people have are going to be based on personality type. You know, a lot of people that have Charles Binet syndrome, if they're, if they're a fear-based individual, um, which our mother was a fear-based individual, anxiety, um, you know, it, it tends to have an effect on what type of hallucination you're going to have and how long. And there are some people who only hallucinate at night. There are people that hallucinate 24 seven and, you know, you, you get these little cheerleader types and all they see are dolphins. And, you know, I'll be quite frank, you know, my mother, when she was talking to Dr. Cusick and talking about her, her hallucinations and she, uh, she was a character. You would have loved her. She was very funny. And she said, well, I, all these people get to see farts and flowers and I get to see these horrible nightmarish images, she said. So, you know, it just, it cracked me up when she would talk to Dr. Cusick and he would get a charge out of her because when, when you are fear-based or emotion-based or anxiety, you know, that your anxiety is high, we've all heard in support group how it intensifies your hallucinations. Um, so I'm really happy that you have found that you can let go of that fear, but I think you're right. I think that spectrum you talk about, I think as, as research develops and as this becomes more of a less orphan quote unquote diagnosis, it's not an orphan diagnosis. This is a global epidemic that we're not paying attention to Charles Binet syndrome. And you know, it, it's not just happening in Canada and the United States, it's happening everywhere. And you know, there's only so much ground we can cover as individuals, but this is something I think we're going to find that has a lot of interesting levels. And as the research continues, and I'm, I'm quite excited about the research. I'm quite excited that, you know, the medical community is going to start opening their eyes, their minds and their hearts to this, and they're going to start paying attention. And I'm just going to start speaking in the positive instead of begging for um, people to pay attention. I'm just going to say that the more we do this, people are going to start paying attention. Somebody's going to have an aha moment where it matters enough 
to care about people with Charles Binet syndrome and do something about it. Yes, and I completely agree. That's exactly what happened to me. I was in a position of isolation so many times in my life when it came to addiction or gender or what have you. I have my laundry list. You have yours. <laughs> and We all do. Absolutely. And um, as I faced it... Uh, the isolation that occurred and then finding a resource for any of the things I've struggled with, my life has changed drastically for the better. Knowledge is power. Amen. That is absolutely true, Theo. Knowledge is power. I love that. And, and it's, it's said often, but we don't hear it enough. Um, and I know that people that are listening are hearing you and I hope that they'll pick up the phone and Shimon. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's interesting because you said finding a resource and that is so important. And that's one of the benefits of today's day and age is we actually are able to conduct this interview with you in two separate countries. And you're actually able to participate in Gary's weekly Charles Benet syndrome support group from Canada and me from New York. So that's good. I couldn't imagine, first of all, having a condition like Charles Benet syndrome 40 or 50 years ago when nobody in your community would know about it. So now if nobody in, in your community knows about it. You have people in another community that you can connect with. So that's one of the benefits of the day and age that we live in. So I'm glad you were able to find Gary's community. And through Gary's community, we found you and his others. And you have that community to be able to to reach for. So that's, that's, that's so, that's, that's such a great thing about the, the day and time that we live in. And Shimon, I want to piggyback off of what you just said, because you said something very important and, you know, finding the resources and, and connecting to a community that can support you. Because if you're talking about 50 years ago, so let's, let's face it, this diagnosis is almost 300 years old. We're just now starting to pay attention to it. And all I can think about is how many people have spent time in mental institutions and assisted living facilities coping with this condition and it not being paid attention to and just being over medicated, uh, medicated at all to, you know, diminish the side effects. And, you know, I was in the assisted living community and I, and I think back about how many people I, I didn't know about it, that we're probably dealing with this. And, and what, what did the nurses do? Well, they knocked them out. They're asleep. You don't have to deal with them, right? But there's no quality of life in that. And so bringing Charles Binet to the forefront, to the general public, to the medical community, we have to pay attention to this because people who are experience, experiencing Charles Binet syndrome deserve a quality of life. They deserve to be... In, you know, integrated into their life, living their lives, not sitting in isolation. And how many people, you know, I pose this question too. There are people that have committed crimes while they were under a hallucination. Doesn't make it okay, but it needs to be looked at because would that person have done that if they weren't hallucinating? And now they're sitting in, in jail, coping, thinking that they're mentally ill and, you know, they're not. And, and we just leave them there. We leave these people behind and that's not okay. What about our veterans that are coming home that are so fearful of seeking medical help? 
because of the stigma attached to that and it, it destroying your medical, your, your, sorry, your military career. How infuriating that is being a military brat myself and coming from the military community of, you know, veterans and, and talking to these, no, related to these people that they can't talk about it. They can't express themselves because of the stigma attached to it. So if we even think about our armed forces, I mean, good gravy. There, there are so many people that are probably dealing with this that have been injured in combat or just lost their vision while they were serving. And they need to be recognized too. My goodness, these people stand on the border and protect our countries. And, you know, anyway, that's another soapbox I can get on. But yes, sir, go on. I just wanted to add to that. um, This to me is a misjustice. And it is up there as being a hate crime and misrepresentation of so many communities for uh, descriptions and historical facts about race, culture, um, the queer community, things have been documented wrong. This is one of the main things that we're going to find in history books to be re-diagnosed and reassessed. And again, just like you said, with everyone in our modern day life, there's veterans, there's other disabled people, there's perfectly visually, uh, you know, fine people that are going to age at some point and quite very much possibly face this. And I tell people that. Yes, sir. It does not have to be because you have a particular disease. Like Dr. Cusick always says, the older you get, and it could be why there's so much focus on the elderly community is because as we age, our, our vision will diminish. And as your vision diminishes, you're a candidate for this. Anybody. And I feel like a lovely example of that because my eyes aging much faster than everything else in my body yeah i guess with the glaucoma that would be what what is your uh do you know what your field of vision is how much vision you what percentage of vision you do have at this time i have a wide range of vision it's just like looking through a dirty window that's the best way i can describe it because it's not a sheet of unclarity it's just spots of unclarity in my vision which i am sure triggers charles benet syndrome in wild ways yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. You're so young. And, and I, I don't like hearing about anybody going through Charles Benet. I think it, we all feel a little bit worse when it happens to somebody so young. And I'm really hoping and praying that there's, you know, even if there's some little kid, little kids don't really listen to podcasts, but I'm hoping and praying there are some parents listening. Parents pay attention. It could be Charles Benet. It doesn't mean that your kid is mentally ill. It just means their eyes are damaged and their brain starts playing tricks on them because of the vision. The brain starts sending images. It's going to continue to do that. And I wish parents, so really the people we really need to be focusing on right now, excuse me, are the parents because your child is probably asking for help. And, and, And why don't, let's go through the assessments, take them in. Let's make sure they don't have something else going on, okay? And if your doctor can't give you any good definitive answers, take them to a neuro-ophthalmologist. Somebody who actually believes in Charles Benet syndrome is more helpful. And if you need information on this, call the number. Yes, Theo, let it rip. What you I, got? I just need to say, please love your loved ones. And if you do not have the answer for what they're seeking, help them find it. 
Well, that was that was, yeah, that. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. So we're going to leave your, your email address because you've given us permission to do that. So we're going to leave that in the show notes and people can contact you if they would like to. In closing, is there anything that you would like to say to our listeners? Hopefully we have some medical professionals, some caregivers, some people with Charles Monet themselves. So um, if you'd like to address them separately, you can, or you can just leave a closing statement for everyone. But what would you like to share? All of my experiences come from a young man that's just trying to figure out his own life in Canada, in the Pacific Northwest. And I come from a place of love and understanding and patience. And the times that I haven't been, I've learned from those times and I'm still continuing to learn. And I think everyone can find themselves in my position at any point in their life. And I hope that you give yourself the degree of patience and grace to figure this out on your own and figure it out for the people that are being affected by it and just understand that we're all working through a wild spectrum of emotions. Wow, thank you so much. And uh, I know I said you're going to get to close it out, but I just thought of something that people with Charles Bonnet syndrome and really everybody, I believe, uh, most people, I will say, are doing the best they can. Life can beat you up. Life has highs. Life has lows. There's challenges. We're all doing the best we can. So like you said, love your loved ones and also love yourself. And um, I think that can make things just that much more better. And it, it finds some kind of community, whatever kind of community. It could be a caregiver's group, a therapist, even though that's not necessarily a community, but sometimes they meet in groups. Charles Bonet Syndrome Support Group or or anybody like if you're queer, have anything that you want to talk to someone about. I think that's that's really one thing that I'm getting out of this out of this episode. So I thank you so much for taking the time to share this. You're the youngest person we've had on this podcast. We may have people younger than you in the future. So it's good to know that Charles Bonet affects so many different people with so many different ages and to hear different perspectives. And uh, so I just appreciate you sharing that. Is there anything you would like to yeah. say ever before we close out? I, I, I would love that. And I'm going to piggyback off you again, Shimon, when you say love one another, love your family. Thank you, Theo. Love each other. You know, this world is, it's, it's messy enough and there's enough negative stuff out there. If we could all just pay attention to the brother next to us, I'm going to, yep. I'm, I, I just have to say that because it, we need to hear more of that you know, care about the person next to you. And Theo, I just want to say you are an inspiration, even to me, to this old, you know, you are, you inspire me, you inspire me. I know I'm on the right path of doing this nonprofit with my brother and, and my team, Shimon, everybody that's become such a big part of this. You are one of the inspirations. I'm inspired by everybody that, that has Charles Benet, but you're what keeps me going. You're what keeps my, the light on when I feel like I I've hit every roadblock and I can't get past it. I, I hear from someone like you, or I have a support group and I'm like, okay, remember why you're doing this. And then I think of my mom too, and how I wish she could have met you because I really believe you would have inspired her. So when you come on our support groups and for those that are young, that come on the support groups, you may find that they're there are a lot of people a little bit older than you, but you have no idea what an inspiration you can be to another human being until you talk about your journey. 
and you help, and that really helps them because Theo, you have inspired people in the support group. You have, and they need to know that this is something that doesn't just affect people their age. And and you keep shining that light. You just keep shining that bright light, brother. <laughs> just keep shining that bright light. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Theo. Okay. Well, thanks so much, and this has been great. <laughs> Appreciate your time, as as uh, as we mentioned, and. Uh, yeah, keep keep on being you and doing what you do and inspiring the people that you inspire. So we we really appreciate it.